This is Trepwire Week in Review for the week ending July 7th, 2023. I'm Haley Keen with Trep, a data modeling and analytics firm for the CMBS commercial real estate and CLO markets. I'm with Manus Clancy, Senior Managing Director, and Lonnie Hendry, Head of CRE and Advisory Services. Last week, we noted that this 4th of July holiday week might be short on news and data, but we may have seen the market fireworks after all. Stocks soared on Friday after a cooler-than-expected personal consumption price index report. That gauge is said to be the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, and the benign reading set off a big pre-holiday rally. The news this week was less favorable. Fed minutes reiterated the need for several more rate hikes, and a much hotter-than-expected ADP report sent stocks tumbling. And Treasury yields spiked, with the two-year pushing past 5% and the 10-year rising above 4% today. Manis, what was your take on the week's activity? Well, we ended a really terrific first half of the year for the markets on Friday on a really upbeat note. We got that, uh, as you called it, benign PCE reading, and it seemed like it was completely risk on. Everybody bought into the narrative that the Fed could be done now, that this lower than expected or cooler than expected PCE print, which included both uh, the headline and the core coming in below expectations, was enough to give the Fed comfort that it could be done with rate hikes. Stocks soared on Friday, as you noted, and we all went into the long holiday weekend, or at least long for most. I think most people had Monday off really feeling good. Since then, we've seen the Fed minutes, which underscored the fact that inflation is still problematic and multiple rate hikes might be necessary, as you pointed out. And then today's ADP job number really rattled the market. It came in at 2x what people were predicting. That sent major stock indexes lower and treasury yields, which had been creeping up despite the PCE prints, soared even higher today. The last time I looked late this afternoon, the 10-year was at 405, which was its highest level uh, in several months. And the two-year was over 5%. So it took a lot of the air out of the balloon for the markets later in the week. And certainly for commercial real estate types, when you start seeing fours on the 10-year and fives on the two-year, you start getting worried about valuations, seven handles on loan rates and interest rate caps all over again. So what started out as a great week, our week starts on Friday, since we record on Thursdays, what started out as a great week ended kind of on a sour note. Yeah, I think you hit most of the headlines there, man. It's just to add a little bit of context on the ADP jobs report. Jobs surged by about 497,000 in June, which was on the heels of a really large 267,000 gain in May. And the estimates headed into June were were coming in just over 220,000. So you said 2X, it's even even more than 2X. It's uh, it's a really sizable surge here in June. So we'll see if that holds or if those numbers get revised um, at any point here in the next couple of months. You know, leading the way was leisure and hospitality. They were at about 232,000 new hires. And then surprisingly, construction and trade were the next largest addition. So construction was 97,000. And then trade, transportation, utilities were coming in at 90,000. So really interesting 
timing on this, given everything that you said with the Fed and everything else. And so we'll see if this just takes some more hawkish tone from the Fed after seeing the report. Core PCE numbers, you know, give a little bit of uh, some numbers there. Personal consumption expenditures price index, which we know, as Haley mentioned, is kind of what the Federal Reserve likes to uh, keep their eyes closed on. We're uh, up three-tenths of a percent for the month. And if you look at it on the year, core PCE increased about 4.6%, uh, though the headline number was up just 3.8%. So some interesting statistics there to kind of follow the news from this week. You know, there were a couple of other things uh, that made some headlines. Walgreens announced that they're going to close about 450 locations globally. That's about 150 in the United States and then a 300 locations in the UK. And so that was reported on the company's earnings call this week. You know, they really harped on the fact that they had lower earnings uh, compared to the same quarter last year. And, you know, they're facing muted consumer spending and a pullback in demand for the COVID vaccines, which are really dampening their uh, outlook. As you mentioned, headed into the holiday week, we probably didn't expect to see all the activity that we saw this week and on the heels of Friday, I would agree that this week is kind of rounded out in a little bit more of a negative tone than what it started off with in Fridays. It was a bad time for Walgreens to, to close 150 stores because I, I sense that I'm going to need a lozenge by the time this podcast is over. There's so much to cover in the next 40 minutes or so. You did mention Christmas tree shops. They are going to liquidate. They had, I forgot, somewhere between 50 and 80 stores, mostly in the Northeast Sometimes they were in small shopping centers, sometimes in shopping malls. Not a death blow to anybody, but for malls that are cuspy, malls that had seen drops in occupancy and were kind of cutting it close on that 1.0x DSCR. Lo losing a um, Christmas tree shop is, is not a happy experience. So not a terribly important news story in terms of presence outside of the Northeast. And Walgreens, as it goes, I think they have something like 9,000 stores in the U.S. So while 150 is big, and if you have a triple net lease property with a Walgreens in it, you're disappointed to see them go, especially if the lease is expiring soon. But we are probably over RX'd in this, uh, in this country and have been for a while. And I think that pruning will continue. So let's jump into our end of the first half of the year recap. We already published our mid-year magazine with Commercial Real Estate Direct, and that's still available if anyone's interested in getting a copy. But today we have a recap of the CMBS markets in the first half of 2023. So we'll talk in two parts about issuance and also spread moves and pricing. If you recall, uh, in Q1 2023, issuance was incredibly anemic, just $6 billion dollars in uh, new issuance that was 12% below where we were in the fourth quarter of 2022, 79% uh, lower than where we were at the same time period in 2022. Q2 was a little bit better, not great. The domestic private label CMBS issuance totaled about 10 billion. That data is available both on the TREP website. We also have it on our sister company, uh, commercial Real Estate Direct. Both of us have that information if you're looking for it. So we saw, if you're looking for green shoots, almost a doubling of new issuance in Q2. So the needle is moving in the right direction. However, we're only at about a third of the volume in H1 2023 of where we were in H1 2022. So 
issuance remains quite anemic. Uh, it's not zero, which is what we saw during the great financial crisis. Things are chugging away, but certainly we like to see it higher. Yeah, if you looked at just the the numbers that you read off, you know, the anemic, I think, is, is the term that we've been using. It's not a great story, but if you consider where we were in the first, you know, couple of months of 23, the fact that we're seeing some issuance now, we've seen three or four deals, it seems like the last month or so come online, I think things are picking up. And I'm hopeful for the market's perspective, if the Fed comes out this next chance they have to, to raise rates and say, we're not going to raise rates, we're going to hold steady. Or they say, we're doing you know another 25 basis points, and then we're going to have another one. People can start you know pricing some of that in and saying, this is where we're going to end up. And I think you'll see issuance pick back up. I think the uncertainty in the market froze everything. And even with the Fed kind of just taking maybe a one-month pause or whatever, we've at least seen some deals come come to market. And so I'm I'm optimistic that you know there's at least water dripping from the drain at this point. Maybe it turns into a little heavier stream here over the next couple of months, whereas in the first part of the of the year it was pretty pretty dry. So um, so hopefully this turns into a little better second half. I, I think that's optimistic thinking. I, I think we're going to continue along this kind of tepid issuance pace. But I'm hopeful that uh, that we'll get some news that the investors are willing to uh, to get these things out the door and priced and sold, and and the markets will start functioning more like we're used to seeing, you know, pre-pandemic. We use that word anemic a lot, and I wonder how that really took over. It kind of means like a slow and lethargic stuff like that. I I think maybe amoebic might be better, like an amoeba. It's just kind of small and puny. Maybe I'll introduce <laughs> a new word in the future: amoebic. See if uh, Haley can put like a, a little GIF or graphic or something. We'll, we'll pivot very quickly to recent pricing and what the quarter did. This was much more hopeful for the market than the issuance numbers were. Um, first of all, we talked the most recent pricing. This priced in late June. The last 10-year pricing saw the AAA spread at 165 over the curve, so 165 basis points over the uh, SOFA curve. That is down from... 230 over the curve for the last deal to price in Q1. So we saw about 65 basis points in tightening there. The last double to price this quarter for 10-year paper, uh, 250 over the curve, that compared to 390 at the end of March. At the end of March, we were still talking about things like debt ceiling problems and, and other things. So a nice tightening there. Uh, single A, the last 10-year price, 420 over the curve versus 525. That is of a piece. We saw cash spreads come in considerably from March 30th, March 31st, 2023 to June 30th, 2023. CMBX spreads at the AAA level came in about 15 basis points, AA level, 13 basis points, triple B minus level, about 10 basis points. So the cost of buying protection, the cost of warehouse lending protection against spread moves got cheaper over the last quarter. That's a nice thing to see. And in the cash market, in, in the trading markets, we saw a really nice rally, 40 or so basis points at the AAA level, 50, 60, 70 basis points in spread tightening in the AA, single A, triple B minus spread levels for cash. So while new issuance was slow, the conditions were improving for issuance to grow. Spreads came lower. 
volatility was muted. And if those conditions stay for the second half of the year, we will see, or we hopefully will, we'll see a pickup in New Deal securitization in H2. So before we turn to our property type stories this week, and we have a lot of them, we also released an analysis using the TREP property price index, a new measure of price movements for CRE properties over time. Lonnie, can you walk through a little bit of this analysis? Yeah, so our TPPI, or TREP property price index, as we're calling it, uh, we're, we're pleased to bring it to the market to bring a little bit more transparency in what's taking place at a property level uh, using a repeat sales method. So for this index, we've calculated about 330,000 repeat sales since 2000, and have added about 6,200 new uh, paired sales in through the first quarter of 2023. And so what we've seen here, is nothing really shocking in the sense that the index declined about 4.7% in Q1 of 23, followed a decline of about 2.1% in Q4 of 2022. So if you look at it on a year-over-year -year basis, the index declined by about 6.8% uh, since the end of Q1 2022. Um, this comes as a reversal of the steady growth that commercial real estate property prices had seen since the end of the Great Recession, uh, which was only briefly disrupted in 2020 at the early onset of the pandemic. So if you're interested in seeing uh, the report, please feel free to email us at podcast.trep.com. And this will be something that you'll start seeing in some of our ongoing research uh, quarter over quarter as the data gets updated and we'll be making available in some of our products as well. So again, if you'd like to see a copy of the report, send us an email. We'll be happy to get that sent out to you. So let's move on to our property type segment. I think now's the time, Manis, where you need that water or that cough drop from Walgreens because we have a lot to cover today and we're going to kick it off with office. A few of the stories we're tracking this week really paint a picture for what is happening in the market and some of the trends that we're seeing. We have so many stories, you know, what, what's that old expression? More than you could shake a stick at? Isn't that uh, what your grandfather used to say? <laughs> Um, yes. I'm going to start with something, some breaking news that we just put out earlier this afternoon. This was a really good green shoot. This one is going out to our clients this afternoon. Republic Plaza, which is a $240 million uh, CMBS loan that missed its balloon date, saw the value of its collateral cut, and saw occupancy fall below 70%, that loan is now being reported as cured and extended. This news comes from Greg Avery, the Denver Business Journal. Brookfield Properties and MetLife are the co-owners of the asset. It's a 1.3 million square foot property. The loan was to mature a couple months ago, missed its balloon date. Occupancy was 78%, was expected to go down to under 70% once a new tenant was planning to leave. For the first quarter of 2023, DSER was just uh, slightly above 1.0x, and the value of the property uh, had been cut from 535 million to under 300 million. So this uh, had a lot of hair on it, this story. The loan, 240 million, as I mentioned, makes up 56% of a 2013 CMBS deal and 42% of a 2012 deal. So any news on this particular property really moves the value 
of the bonds collateralized by this particular loan. The news today reported that the loan cured and the maturity date has been pushed out to early 2026. The loan was to mature in December 2022 and had been sitting in CMBS purgatory. And now reports are out there that this has been extended to early 2026. A note for those people looking at this, because this data will not remit, which means servicer data will not come out on this loan for another seven days or so, our data will still reflect it as being past its maturity date and the new terms will not be reflected until this is reported by the fiduciaries. Traders will wanna take this into consideration if buying or selling these bonds over the next week or so. Trade carefully. Yeah, and for our listeners there, I'm going to kind of be the promo guy today that says, if you're interested in this, reach out. But this is one that uh, will make a freebie. So if you're interested in this trading alert, uh, reach out to us. Uh, no promises on us being able to deliver this tonight before midnight, but uh, we'll do our best to uh, respond to any of the interested parties as quickly as we can so you get access to this trading alert in near real time. I could just tell from the emails we get from Haley from all times of, of the evening that she is the quintessential night owl, right? Checking Twitter, responding to emails, editing our stutters out of all our podcasts and our, our malaprops. And uh, so something tells me that if you reach out to Haley, other than between 2 a.m. and about 6 a.m., there's a good chance she's going to be uh, replying to you. Yep. The problem with that, Mattis, is I'm also a morning person. So you might catch me at both ends. But yeah, true. Reach out uh, I had to the us. wrong word. You're not an idol. You were an insomniac. Yeah. Only on but podcast night. There we go. All <laughs> right. So I have a lot of other stories. I'm going to try to bucket them into different categories. My first category will be Philadelphia, where we saw an awful lot of stories uh, this week. Three really important stories. Uh, and I'll run through them in succession. Um, the first one. We sent this out as a trading alert yesterday. The Philadelphia Inquirer was reporting that Wells Fargo will be vacating nine floors at 101 North Independence Mall in Philadelphia. This particular property backs a $54 million loan. The property is also known as 401 Market. That loan makes up almost 9% of a 2016 deal. The collateral is a 500,000 square foot office um, in Philadelphia. The really interesting thing about this one is that Wells Fargo makes up 65% of the square footage on a lease that ends in 2024. And if you're reading the headlines, you think that this is now dead loan walking. However, they were only paying $8 a square foot for this square footage. It turns out that the second largest tenant, American Bible, is paying enough rent even though they only occupy a third of the property, that it can cover the debt service on this on an interest-only basis until the Wells Fargo space is refilled. Now, I don't know how much deferred maintenance is in there, how much TI will be necessary, how much uh, capital needs to be put into this asset, um, but that is one of three big stories in Philadelphia this week. Uh, earlier today, from Jeff Blumenthal of Philly Business Journal, Fox Rothschild will be moving from 2000 Market Street. They've been there for 46 years. Uh, they are a law firm 
um, and they're cutting their footprint from about by about 40 percent, dropping from about 135,000 square feet to 95,000 square feet. They're moving to a 15-year lease at Two Commerce Square, which is at 2001 Market. The move will take place in December 2024. The interesting thing about Two Commerce, um, Wells Fargo is consolidating their offices there. The property backs a new, a brand stinking new 2023 CMBS loan. And now Fox Rothschild will be moving its square footage to that property as well. So a really nice story for a new issue CMBS deal. Now we have one that's not nearly as happy for a CMBS deal. And this one also breaking earlier today, Independence Health is looking to sublease 225,000 square feet at 1900 Market, uh, which is across the street from its city center headquarters. This particular property, 1900 Market, was also recently securitized. Independence Health takes about half of the square footage in that 450,000 square foot building, which is owned by Brandywine Realty Trust. So a lot of stuff happening in Philadelphia uh, all at once. And uh, I don't know, it's, we're right around Independence Day, uh, City of Brotherly Love, the Liberty Bell. I don't know, something's in the water in Philly this week. Yeah, it's good. Uh, good for us to have something to talk about in Philly. You know, it's one of the major cities in the U.S. And we haven't had a lot of interesting content, you know, recently to talk about. You know, not great that a lot of those stories have kind of a crabgrass feel to them. You know, I, I wonder how American Bible Society feels uh, when they listen to this podcast and they realize that their rent was so much that they could cover the debt service and that uh, Wells Fargo was uh, paying so much less than uh, than where they're at. So that'll be an interesting discussion for the property owner to have with the uh, with the existing remaining tenant there in American Bible. But I think what this shows is just that we're we're seeing activity. Not all the activity is great, but not all of it's negative either. I mean, for each of these stories, you know, depending on which side of the table you're on, you can, you know, make a case as to why this is potentially good news. The Wells Fargo downsizing, you know, I think that kind of fits the trend as we've seen with a lot of these other large-scale banks consolidating some of their office footprints. So that doesn't come as a surprise. And hopefully for Philadelphia, there's been a lot of negative stuff on quality of life and other things, maybe not to the extent of San Francisco, but it's definitely gotten its fair share of of some of the downtrodden macro factors there. Hopefully they can see some of these activities and maybe make some decisions there that that help improve quality of life for the residents. Yes, yeah, so my own personal quality of life in Philadelphia was not very good. The one or two times I decided to go down there with my Giants jersey on for Giants-Eagles games, not a, uh, a good tactical move. I, I will we'll never try again. All right, back to office. Like I said, we, we are, are going to... Uh, really take you through a lot of different segments of that particular market. Let me turn my attention to subleases. We got some good sublease stories, which is unusual, and some bad ones. Starting with the green shoots, Go Health will take 90,000 square feet from software provider Velocity EHS at Merchandise Mart in Chicago. That story comes from Danny Ecker of Cranes, a positive one there. Uh, another green one in Austin, Texas, TikTok has taken its 125,000 square feet of sublease space off the market. They had made that available a couple of months ago. Uh, that is at 300 Colorado. On the negative side in Los Angeles, Google is looking to sublease about 100,000 square feet 
at the bluffs at Playa Vista. That story comes from Jack Whithouse. Google, as we know, has been aggressively downsizing over the last six months and, and announced it was taking a $500 million charge to downsizing to downsize offices this year. So that was a negative one. In Atlanta, this story comes from Savannah Sicurella. We've mentioned her several times uh, over the years. German elevator manufacturer, TK Elevator, has listed its entire headquarters at 3100 Pennant Park for sublease. Uh, this is 83,000 square feet in total. Uh, Atlanta has seen a lot of sublease stories, several firms down there putting square footage on the market. Uh, this is the latest for that market. It's an interesting location. I've driven by there before. Uh, for, for people that don't know the Atlanta market, next to their office is a huge tower that you look at and you scratch your head and you say, what the heck is that thing? It's windowless. It looks like it's about 40 by 40 and it rises about, I don't know, 200 feet. And you drive by it and you say, what in God's green earth is that thing there? And it's an elevator test center. That's where they work to make sure that their elevators can go up and down. And, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, I would drive by that thing and think that poor analyst working at that desk with no windows and no, with vitamin D, you know, shortages and no air, but it's, it's a tester of elevators. There you go. Yeah, funny story. I uh, went to a conference up in Canada a couple of years ago and got stuck in a taxi cab. Kind of a weird story. The, the at the airport, they put me in this random lady in a in a taxi to go across the border, and the border agent wasn't very happy when they had us come across and we didn't know each other. Whatever. She was actually going to an elevator conference, <laughs> um, and you know, as she was getting out of the cab at her hotel, she said, "Don't trust elevators. They're not safe." put a little bit of that fear, you know, every time you get an elevator, but like I've ridden an elevator thousands of times, never had any issues, you know, knock on wood, but she's like, oh, I designed these and they're not safe or something. And I'm like, I, it was 2020 at that time, 2019, somewhere in that time frame, and elevators seem to be pretty safe. And now I'm feel even more safe knowing that they have huge test centers where they're just testing elevators up and down all day. So. Well, good luck leaving our office today, Lonnie. Let us know if you make it to the lobby, okay? <laughs> And we'll pause for a minute with a message from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Better Pitch, the experts in private equity pitch deck design. Whether you need a fundraising, corporate overview and track record deck, or investor reporting collateral, they have you covered. Better Pitch has developed pitch decks for raises as small as $1 million and as large as half a billion. The best part? Better Pitch completes all design, copywriting, and market research. Better Pitch is the plug-and-play option to deliver an institutional-quality deck. And they deliver the final product in a PowerPoint file for you to use on future deals. Visit betterpitch.com today to learn more. All right, continuing with our thoughts, some green shoots. We'll go through these quickly. From Real Estate Journals, Heinz and Cerberus Capital Management have signed 150,000 in new leases at J.P. Morgan Chase Tower in Houston. That's at 600 Travis. Uh, among the headlines there, J.P. Morgan Chase adding 60,000 square feet. KKR doubling its footprint to 53K and law firm Bradley Arant doubling its footprint to 45K. In Kansas City, law firm Hush Blackwell has signed a 12-year lease extension at Plaza Colonnade. Uh, the firm will be reducing its footprint by about 25%. That story is from James Dornbrook of the Kansas City Business Journal. 
In Milwaukee, Baird announced Thursday that it's extending its lease at U.S. Bank Center in downtown Milwaukee for five years. This is an enormous extension. The firm has nearly 500,000 square feet in the 1.1 million square foot office building. It's the tallest building in Wisconsin. Baird has extended the lease for five years and will get signage out of that. All right, the final couple. Uh, a trip flash we threw out this week. Uh, Globe Street is reporting that 15 Metro Tech in lower Brooklyn is gonna go to special servicing. It's a $130 million loan. Brookfield Asset Management is the owner the loan matures in September. The property, 650,000 square feet, as I said, in Brooklyn. Um, a trading alert we put out, uh, Workspace Property Trust has extended a $1.3 billion loan. The loan had been with special servicing. The arrangement pushes out the maturity date by two years. Ironhound Management worked with Workspace to arrange that extension. Uh, a really quick turnaround time on that a particular deal. The loan went to special servicing in May, and in early June, we get the modification. Yeah, so man, as you mentioned, that 15 Metro Tech Center, just for our listeners and Tripwire readers, will remind you that back in late December of 2019, uh, we noted that WellPoint, which at that time was the top tenant and occupied about 60% of the space, would not be re renewing their lease, uh, which was slated to terminate in June of 2020. So as a result of that tenant not renewing, Occupancy went from 98% in the building in 2019 down to 63% in 2020. Since then, they've had some rebound. Occupancy uh, rebounded about 75% with the New York State Department of Taxation and Finance, adding about 100,000 square foot lease. So occupancy rebounded to 75% after New York State Department of Taxation and Finance signed the 100,000 square foot in 2020. So, you know, just interesting on that one. There's definitely been some challenges going back a few years. So not surprising to see this one go to the uh, special servicer. And I got to say, people loved our comps, comps, comps headline last week. And we put out a lot of comps on sales comps for offices and other property types. Uh, I will put out one for office and we do have property comps for other property types coming up. This one, not a happy one. It comes from the Mercury News. George Avalos, Apple has bought a four-story office in Cupertino near the firm's headquarters. The sales price was $70 million. Uh, that represents a 35% discount to the 2019 price of $108 million. Rubicon Point Partners was the seller. Really negative print there for that particular market. Yeah, just another story, 35% discount to the 2019 price. So not a, not a great headline for uh, for sales in that in that local market. So I know we had a lot on office, which has been the most talked about property type, I'd say. We're also hearing a lot of people talk about maturities and what we're tracking in terms of loan maturities coming due. And this week, TREP released a blog using our loan maturities dashboard which allows our clients to visualize loan maturity data, including the distribution of maturities, trends over time, and some performance metrics. Yeah, so some interesting takeaways from this blog post and the dashboards is that we project about $103 billion in CMBS debt that's set to mature in the second half of 2023. Uh, you add additional $126 billion slated to come due in 2024. So just over the next 18 months, there's about $232 billion in CMBS debt slated to mature. 
if you combine that with 51 and a half billion of CRE CLO loans and 27 billion in agency debt, you know, you're looking at about 310 billion in, in CRE loans maturing. In the at-risk maturing loan section of the dashboard, our users can filter out through throughout a list of more than 7,000 CMBS loans maturing over the next 18 months. And so the blog gives a little bit of a preview of that. Again, if you're interested in getting a copy of the blog, email us. If you'd like to see a demo of the dashboard or uh, you know some of the capabilities, reach out. We'll be happy to get you set up with somebody in our team that can walk you through how you can use the business intelligence visualization tool that highlights a lot of the headlines that we've been talking about here on the podcast for the last several months pertaining to upcoming maturities across the CRE landscape. Going back to comps, 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 we have a lot more to talk about this week. So let's bring on the stories. All right, here we go. This first one comes from the Nashville Post. William Williams, the Homewood Nashville Vanderbilt in Tennessee, uh, sold for $88 million. This is a 192 key property. The comp is, is about 450000 per key. The property is at 2400 West End Avenue in Nashville. Uh, the property opened in 2013 and was valued at $50 million at the time, so about $260,000 per key at that time. So we're seeing you know, a good 40 45% uptick in valuation over the last nine years or so. That's a lot of bachelorette parties. The second one comes from The Real Deal. This comes from Lydia Dinkova. Uh, Blackstone bought a couple of Hyatt-branded airport hotels in Dania Beach, um, both are near the Fort Lauderdale Airport. The two properties traded for $40.1 million in aggregate, or about $137K per key. For, so for those that like their comps, there's a couple of hotels you can uh, chew on over the weekend. Yeah, so under this banner of comps, 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 I actually got asked by our own Susie S. today if that was a play on the song Shots, Shots, Shots. And I told her, unfortunately, we weren't that cool. And we really were just talking about comps, comps, comps. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I don't know, Lonnie. I, th I think we're the coolest three people out there. I think you'd be hard pressed to find three people with, with more aggregate cool than the three of us. I don't know. I, I think you're <laughs> selling, selling us short. All right. Here's a couple more uh, comps for you. In the industrial space, um, this first one comes from the Registry PS. Really good coverage of the Puget Sound commercial real estate space uh, really do a nice job out there. Dermody Properties bought uh, an asset in Lacey, Washington for $132 million. The 720,000 square foot property equates to about 184 bucks a square foot. You could put that in your data registry. Uh, second story, commercial property executive. This comes from Jordana Rothberg. Uh, Equity Partners, along with JV partner Walton Street Capital, sold a 1.3 million square foot portfolio uh, near Philadelphia. The portfolio or the property is called the Twin Bridge Industrial Park. Sale price $195 million. Uh, it equated to about $150 a square foot. So uh, a couple of data points for industrial and student housing. Um, this one... Uh, I don't have, oh, this was multi-housing multi news. The Seminole Grand, a 1,500-bed housing community in Tallahassee has been acquired by FPA Multifamily. 
Um, they are assuming a loan, which always muddles the water uh, a little bit when you talk about comps. But the sale price was 68 million, which represented about 44K per bed. Uh, the last one I'll throw out there, this is in the retail segment. I always love a good retail sale. It's been such a belittled part, especially the shopping center and, and mall space, belittled part of the market for the last five or six years. Uh, this comes from commercial property ex executive, uh, Diana Fertea. Um, Continental Realty has acquired Lakeside Village. This is a 460,000 square foot super regional center in Lakeland, Florida. Sales price 78 million. That represents about 170 bucks a square foot. Not a, a real deep tenant roster. Belk, Cobb Theater, Books a Million, and Shadow anchored by a Coles, but a, but a nice price there at 78 million bucks. Yeah, I would say with that tenant roster is probably a pretty good transaction for the seller. Belk has had its struggles. Coles, obviously, we've talked about it at length at the pod on the podcast of some of their struggles. So that's probably a pretty good transaction. A couple of these other sales that you mentioned, you know, on the heels of the large Prologis industrial portfolio sale we talked about last week, you know, the uh, the two you mentioned here, 718,000 square feet and about 1.3 million square feet starting to see a lot of activity in the industrial space. And those prices at $184 and $150 respectively, I think are reputable sales prices in those markets. And if you go back to the Nashville hotel sale that you talked about, you know, Nashville has been one of those markets that have just been really resistant to any slowdown. We've seen across all the asset classes there, it seems like their property sectors have been really strong. Sales prices have been, you know, increasing even in, you know, the more, broad scale downturn that we've seen across other markets. And so it's great news to have some of those cities like Nashville, you know, even Austin to a certain extent, Miami, obviously, um, that have been, you know, able to generate really good return for their investors, even in the face of some of these challenges. You know, we mentioned years ago that, you know, as our popularity grew with, with a podcast and we went from a thousand to 2000 to 5,000 and now about, about 10,000 a week, you know, guys like Lonnie and Joe before him and Darren, high demand for things like, you know, uh, new car dealership openings and, you know, sweet 16s and other things. We could add the bachelorette party to your list of things that you do cameos for, Lonnie. You can, uh, you know, for, for, for a certain price, you could show up and, and glad hand and maybe do a little karaoke and, and maybe a shot or two. Who knows? Like, uh, it could just be, you know, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think my dad jokes, my dad bod, or uh, my deep knowledge of cap rates are going to be too welcomed at any of those bachelorette parties. So probably not your guy for that. But um, you know, I'm sure we have some treppies here that might fit that bill a little bit better than I do. All right, let's turn to shout outs. So first, we wanted to give a shout out to Michael Bull and the team at America CRE Show. Lonnie joined them on an episode of the podcast this week, so tune in there. Jesse G reached out and said he was a big fan of the show. He's been listening for the past couple of years, and it's become a weekly routine to listen to the podcast on his drive to work. And every time someone emails that, I have a little brief pause when I realize we've been doing this for a couple of years. So it's always a cool reminder. Warren D sent us some constructive feedback, and I know you got back to him, Manis. So thank you, Warren. RJK said he loves the podcast, and it's been a great source in his valuation practice. Andy B said, keep up the fun work on the pod. 
He also said he would proudly wear a Nike golf shirt from the Trepwire experience. So I think we'll have to get on that online store or maybe the big box retailer sooner than later. Wouldn't we all, Simon? Wouldn't we all like a nice golf shirt? <laughs> Simon, Simon is our is CFO. CFO. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> Charles D. said he's a longtime listener of the podcast and a current master's student at Fordham, and he knows that Lonnie is on the advisory board there. Norm S. said he, he just started listening to our podcast and he wishes he had sooner. He started his own firm and is enjoying our insights. John T. sent us the Seneca Apartments in Streeterville, which sold, and it was a big loss for Van Barton, which was a Crane Chicago story. Yes, that was one of my comps I forgot to put out there. I, I gave him the courtesy of thanking him and responding that it's on the list, and then I didn't bring it up as a comp. This is a Chicago property. We'll, we'll talk about it next week, but it sold for, I think, $78 million a couple of years ago. Uh, it's in Streeterville just resold now for 55 million. So uh, a really dismal comp. If you need that comp before next Thursday, uh, let me know and I'll, I'll email it to you. So shame on me for not bringing that up. Also a couple of shout outs. Uh, nice talking to you, Kurt, this week about the markets and uh, glad to catch up. Uh, and I will be golfing tomorrow with Yanni, who is a really long time listener. And uh, he and I will finally get a chance to get out there and hit the links and talk CRE. So he will be the latest edition of the growing list of people that I've disgraced myself on a golf course <laughs> with. Yeah. And to that point, Dogged Tenacity responded on Twitter and said, it was great taking your lunch money, Manis. He said, great day, but a better podcast. So that was a nice comment. Um, and then we had a few more. We had a lot of people who came to us after we offered up our multifamily NOI report, some of our defeasance analysis, or our market pulse info. So some of you I haven't replied to yet, but I'll do that in my nightly routine tonight. So Justin G, Andy B, Lindsay H, Jason J, Leah V, David L, Brian B, Aaron W, David S. And then finally, we had Rashad T come to us this week saying, what do you guys think about calling your listeners the live wires? So if you guys remember a few weeks back, we talked about trep heads after the dead heads, but we weren't sure about that. So Rashad T said we could do some segments saying, hey, live wires, we're going to be in your town today. Rashad said his only requirement is that he receives credit for the rest of 2023. So that's just a small price to pay. I have to say, I love the live wires thing. And I think that in addition to that, you know, that Trep golf t-shirt or t-shirt, you know, shirt that we're talking about. I think that we should have the Lonnie live wire tour. It should be mimicked off the rock and roll t-shirt. It should have the live wire 2023 world tour. And on the back, it should have every city that he's visited this year, along with the date he visited. And, you know, sometimes he's at these cities three or four nights. So it could be, you know, March 5th, 6th, and 7th, Seattle, right? <laughs> I, I think, you know, your mug on there, Lonnie, with a, with a couple of big buildings in the background and maybe a spreadsheet. You know, I, I think, God, that thing would sell out faster than you could say Bob's your uncle. Hey, anything's better than Lonnie on the ledge. So I'm definitely a fan of this one. And uh, my travel schedule would make for a really nice uh, tour schedule on the back of a T-shirt. It might have to be an extra tall to uh, to get all the travel dates in there, but we'll see what we can do on that front. And I, I don't know if now is the appropriate time to mention that I actually do have one of the Trep golf shirts. So they do exist. 
um, but they're in very limited quantities. Well, now I'm going to get in trouble with all the sales team, Lonnie, so thank you for that one. And with that, we'll close. Join us next week as we look at what's happened during the week and how it may be impacting you. If you have a question or a comment, send an email to podcast at trip.com and subscribe to the Tripwire podcast with your favorite provider. Thank you for listening and stay well. All right.